Welcome to the India Fintech Diaries, the only podcast focused exclusively on the Indian fintech market. I'm Elroy. And I'm Heman. In each episode, we dive into the latest trends, ideas, innovations, business models, and personalities that are shaping India's fintech landscape. We also invite amazing guests who are innovators and industry players that are driving the change that is helping make financial services more modern, innovative, and inclusive in India. Come join us as we explore the changing landscape of fintech in India. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to 2021. I'm your co-host, Elroy, and this is India Fintech Diaries, the podcast show where we discuss the latest trends in Indian fintech and speak to some amazing guests from the industry. It feels great to put 2020 behind us, doesn't it, Hemant? Yes, it does, Elroy. And 2021 already looks very exciting. But first, Let's take a quick look at what happened in 2020. In October 2020, we launched the first episode of this show with a discussion on neobanking. Since then, we have spoken to many interesting guests covering topics in neobanking and digital lending. Last year, we crossed two important milestones for our podcast as well. The launch of our companion website, indiafintechdiaries.com and crossing over 1000 plus listens on the show. Thanks a ton for the support, listeners. And for those of you who are just tuning in, do visit the website for episode archives and additional content. Heyman, this is very interesting Chinese proverb which says, uh, may you live in interesting times. And 2020 was certainly a very, very interesting time, no? Both in terms of the pandemic and its effect of Indian fintech. So what some of what are the big uh, stories of 2020? Definitely, Elrai. And let's start with funding. With the pandemic depressing demand in the first half of 2020, I would have thought that funding would have taken a backseat in 2020. But fintech emerged as the biggest investment sector in 2020, with over $1.76 billion flowing into the sector in the first six months alone. Overall, it seems that fintech rounded this year with a good $2 billion invested in the sector. The year also saw several newly minted unicorns like Razorpay and Zerodha. Plus, we have started this year fantastically by adding one more unicorn, which is Digit. Also, a very interesting thing for me, Emant, was that uh, unlike previous years, Paytm did not dominate funding like it did in previous years, right? But it certainly captured the headlines in spite of that with respect to payments. So, for example, it had this very public spat with Google on the back of which it launched its own mini app store. And the intention behind its mini app framework was to bring app-like experiences within the Paytm app so that over time, the Paytm app became more like an, a super app. And this actually borrows very heavily from the playbook of firms in Southeast Asia, like WeChat, which have been championing mini apps for quite some time. In other areas, Paytm is also making inroads into wealth with its stockbroking services and insurance with its acquisition of the general insurer QB in July. But as far as payments is concerned, Paytm was not the only story that made payment headlines. Rival PhonePay crossed a very important milestone of 250 million users, emerging as one of the largest payment platforms in the country. In October, the company said it processed a record of 925 million transactions worth $277 billion up to October. And by the end of the year, it had crossed about 835 million UPI transactions, capturing more than 40% of the total market share. Speaking of UPI, uh, the platform actually showed no signs of slowing down at all in 2020. It was almost as if there was no pandemic around. In 2020, the platform showed over 100% year-on-year growth, clocking about 19 billion transactions in 2020, with a process value in excess of US dollars 450 billion. 
In 2021, though, will be an interesting year for UPI as a platform because the ecosystem will then begin to roll out NPC as caps on participant volumes. And then we'll need to see what uh, whether this has an uh, a kind of a depressing effect on overall transactions or actually helps the ecosystem mature further. True, Elroy. And Elroy, what I really like about market is when I'm sitting with you now and looking back, there are two things which really stand out, Elroy. One, this market is so dynamic that every day is a new thing and it is extremely uh, a market that completely keeps changing. And the second, Elroy, is the scale. You just spoke about the scale that UPI has reached. I doubt that any other market, even in payments, would see scale that India sees. But having said that, uh, Elroy, let's even look at lending. Mobiquick raised about $7 million US million to expand its digital credit offering, while Sainzi raised a total $8.4 million US million in 2020 to expand its onboarding solution offered to lenders. The other big lending story of 2020 was account aggregator framework, which we covered in our third episode. With banks like Indusind Bank and Axis Bank live on the framework, we expect a lot more action in 2021 in this space. The other big story, Elroy, was neobanking, the focus of our inaugural episodes. 2020 saw multiple neobanks being announced while exiting existing neobanks like Neo launched new offerings. I think 2021 will see a lot of consolidation in this space as firms achieve market launch and we begin to see what models will succeed. This brings me to the new buzzword for 2021, embedded finance. Ever since Goldman Sachs announced its aim of embedded finance within its customer organization, the fintech net or the fintech Twitter has been awash with exploration of this theme of embedded finance. But what does embedded finance actually mean? You know, Hemant, that's a very interesting question. So at its simplest form, uh, embedded finance uh, could be considered as the integration of one or more financial services into a non-financial provider's solution. So let's spend a little a little time and unpack uh, what this means. So for example, a non-financial company, let's take an example of an uh, ticketing platform that provides flight tickets. Mm-hmm. Some of the common uh, use cases that such a company might have is for high-value tickets, it might want to offer credit offerings. Uh, in other cases, it might want to offer a bundled insurance and many other financial services that it might want to integrate with its existing offerings. Now, today, the way that this would work is it would work in a suboptimal way by integrating with a bank or it might decide to set up a financial services arm to actually provide the solution. Both of these would mean that they would have to spend millions of dollars or a considerable amount of money setting up this fintech solution. And in case it wanted to actually get a license, uh, they may also look at uh, applying for a license and being regulated. Now, what embedded finance actually does is turns this completely on its head and uh, uses a very robust API-led platform right, uh, to let a non-financial service provider actually embed financial services within its uh, core offerings. And if you look at how this has come about, it's actually a culmination of a long history of evolution in financial services. If I go back in history, there are actually three distinct stages of evolution. The first occurred when financial institutions embraced digitization and started converting existing manual processes to digital ones. This first occurred in areas that have always been in the cutting edge of technology like payments. And in some some ways, this phase is actually still playing out in other areas like credit and corporate financial services. Now, in the second phase, a fintech started getting into the game and started unbundling uh, financial services and started focusing on providing alternatives to financial service-led products that are typically offered by banks. An example of this could be how PayPal started unbundling payments or services like Acon started unbundling investments. Now, this uh, core focus on digitization and unbundling has finally led us to the third phase, 
where the focus is moving to large platforms where customers are gravitating and spending an increasing amount of their online time. Now, one of these uh, ecosystems that you should look, uh, you could actually look at is the what we call as the Fang ecosystem of Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, where a lot of us have been spending uh, our time on the platforms that uh, these service providers provide. And also, this could also apply to region-specific uh, areas like Gojek, Grab, and WeChat. Now, as consumers gravitate towards these platforms, we expect that increasingly, financial services will also move to be completely embedded within these platforms. And customers will be able to consume and use financial services without ever leaving this platform or even uh, visiting a bank app or a website. True, Elroy. And I'm really, really excited about this trend because to be honest, Elroy, this is how life should be, right? Life operates and the movement of money is an undercurrent of or an underflow. It should not become an activity in itself. Now, to further understand this, let's take a few examples. I'll start with the one that everyone is usually familiar with, which is payments. Payments is actually quite mature, with capability already existing to embed payment flows in multiple ways. But the true power of embedded payment comes when it's seamlessly integrated and nearly invisible. WhatsApp Pay in India does this really well. With its embedded UPI payments, let's say you owed a friend some money and wanted to pay the money to him. You would usually ask them their UPI handle and make the payment to them using an app like Google Pay. Here, you would need to enter the UPI handle, which is their unique identification for payments and the amount to complete the payment. While this is simple enough, embedded payments can make this even more simple. Now, let's say you wanted to make the same payment to your friend on WhatsApp Pay. You would just open a chat message with him and choose to send them the payment like you would send them an image or a message. All you would need to do is just key in the amount and authenticate the payment. Now, let's take another example where you are an SME who needs to track incoming payments. Here, the SME might need to look at their bank account statement and see what payments were received and then maybe manually or semi-manually reconcile these against the invoices. In case of embedded finance, the SME's bank might embed itself within the SME's accounting and invoicing software, allowing the software to embed both automated tracking of payments as well as the capability to initiate payments without ever logging onto the bank app or net banking. And even as far as SMEs go, right, uh, this whole concept of embedded finance could go way beyond just uh, tracking receivables and payables. In some cases, SMEs might uh, actually use B2B platforms to buy and sell goods among themselves. And in these cases, the platform itself might embed uh, uh, different forms of credit that the SME could immediately take on these platforms. So I think in the coming days, we'll definitely see a lot of new interesting use cases come up in the area of embedded finance. And the simple concept of using APIs to embed financial services outside the financial institution is actually nothing new. It's been around for some time, but is actually now only becoming very mature True. and uh, powerful. So I suspect that as platforms mature in 2021 and as well as financial service digitization efforts also mature, we should definitely start seeing many new ways in which this concept comes to market. Already within India, we're seeing new ideas come to market in areas of credit, insurance, payments and banking. So in the coming episodes, what we plan to do is we'll speak to guests in these areas and try and demystify how embedded finance is playing out in all these various areas. So do stay tuned to the show for more. That's it from India Fintech Diaries this week. And until next time, stay safe.